Hey everyone, we're giving you more bonus content this week. That's right, another free episode of The Interchange, a podcast from GTM Squared. Everyone is talking about Tesla's solar roof, and since it's at the top of the news cycle, and perhaps at the top of your mind, we wanted to share our analysis. You can get this kind of analysis every week at GTM Squared. In fact, this week we've got a deep dive into the wonky energy decisions the next president will face, as well as an overview of Japan's booming distributed storage industry. That and much more is at GTM Squared. Find it at greentechmedia.com slash squared. This is The Interchange, a weekly conversation about the changing business of energy and clean tech from GTM Squared. I'm Stephen Lacey with Shale Khan, and we're sitting here in our office together digesting Tesla's solar shingles that Elon Musk unveiled last week. Hey, Shale. Hey, Stephen. You spent your weekend thinking about Tesla, huh? Yeah, nothing else. No That's Halloween parties, just no, Tesla. No, no, no. Yeah, just thinking about Tesla. Okay, so you may remember from our episode in August with Eric Wessoff, we chatted about what Tesla's solar roof might look like. Musk unveiled this on a Solar City earnings call. He kind of jumped in there, and it was like it was yeah, like it surprising. I don't that think the Rive brothers, yeah, expected yeah. it. Um, so now we know what it looks like. It's it's a glass tile that comes in four types: textured glass, slate glass, Tuscan glass, and smooth glass. It's a pretty slick product, don't you think? Yeah. No, I mean it, it looks great. Okay, so Musk didn't actually answer any real questions about performance, about efficiency, longevity, cost, how they're going to produce the tiles, uh, the business model here. We're kind of left hanging on this. So, Shale, since you have spent the weekend thinking about this and you have a lot bouncing around your head, how are you um, thinking about both the pros and cons of this technology? Because you have this broken down into actual pros and cons buckets. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to, the you know, since I did spend the entire weekend just thinking about this, basically organize my thoughts into like, based on what we know now, which is relatively little, and we'll get back to that in the con category, based on what we do know now, um, what can we say about this product and what it means for the future of Tesla or SolarCity or both that is positive? What can we say that we think is is negative and what remains to be seen? And I think there are, you know, there are strong cases on either side. Like there are definitely things that we do know now that are truly positive and should be stated as such. And there are things that we either don't know now or can have a sense of now that seem like pretty big red flags. The, the unknowns and the cons seem to be a lot longer, though, when you when you break it down. Well, let's hear your list. Let's let's, you know, give Tesla and perhaps SolarCity the benefit of the doubt and give them and outline the pros here. Right. OK, so credit where credit's due. I have three things that I think are basically unabashedly positive about this. The first one is the one that you already mentioned, but let's just like spend a minute dwelling on it. Um, the aesthetics of the product are really good. Yeah, it looks great. And it people were surprised that there cool. was actually solar on the roof. They were surrounded by a few buildings. And and then like a couple minutes into the presentation, Musk came out and said, actually, the solar is already on that roof. Right. On the, the, the rooftop of the Desperate Housewives set. Right. No, I mean, you know, it, it was... That was true in, in, you know, traditionally on Musk fashion. It was a great unveiling. Um, but just separate from that, you look at those roofs, you look at the ones that were in the video that they provided, and you can go on the website now, and it looks really good. And not just really good generally, but really good in my mind in comparison to historical building integrated PV products. So we spent a lot of time 
on this podcast and on the DTM site talking about the the long list of BIPV failures in the past. And I will note that I don't think any of them, and feel free to write in if you want to disagree with me, but I don't think I've ever seen a solar shingle or solar roof tile product that looked nearly as appealing as this one. No, because they kind of all look like miniaturized PV modules. Right, right, exactly. You could tell that they were there. I mean, the, the cool thing about these ones is that you know, it would take you two glances to notice that anything was different. And he actually showed, you know, you, you bend the, um, glass and from the perspective of standing on the ground, it just looks like a roof tile. And then when you bend the glass and you look at it straight on, like from above, you can see the solar cell inside it. So I think aesthetically, like design wise, this is a win. There's, and we'll not argue with you at all there. Right. I think they're beautiful. Right. Okay. So that's number one. Um, Number two that is a positive is that, and this is a positive generally for building integrated PV, but before we just throw that whole market out, um, there is real evidence that there is a subset of residential customers for whom aesthetics will make a decision for them as to whether they go solar or not. There was a study a couple of years ago from Lumetto, which was a BIPV company, so admittedly a sort of a biased survey, but found that that something over 20% of the homeowners who don't yet have solar that they surveyed said that um, the aesthetics would make a yes or no decision for them on solar. So that's a fifth of the population. Separate from that, there's also a good academic study um, a little while back from the University of Wyoming where they did a, a pretty robust survey of homeowner preferences about solar. And they found that, um, I'll quote the study here, is that we find that the price premium for architecturally designed solar exceeds that of traditional rooftop solar for the average respondent by several thousand dollars. So basically between those two studies, you can sort of draw the conclusion that this could expand the market um, just by being aesthetically pleasing and that the average customer will spend more for it. So even if it is a premium product that doesn't quite compete on price, it could still work. Did they break that down in terms of customer class or income? Oh, no, they didn't, which is I'd interesting. Love to know I bet they're... you could dig into the data yeah. and see that. You, so they did, I think, find that it was true across all customer types and that those, I do remember that those who were willing to pay less for solar had a similar premium that they would be willing to pay for architecturally designed solar, but they were still willing to pay less than those who could pay more. Okay, so we have a product that clearly looks better than any other BIPV products that either of us have ever seen, and there is an addressable market. And the Rive brothers alluded to that on their earlier call. Yeah, I want to come back to the size of that addressable market on the sort of semi-con side here, but let me just add the third and, for me anyway, final, like, notch in the pro side, which is that um, there are still some places in the U.S. where it's really hard for homeowners to go solar because of the aesthetics. So there are about 21% of the U.S. population lives in what's called a common interest community, which includes you know, homeowners associations, condo communities, and cooperatives and things like that. So a fifth of the U.S. population has some kind of uh, organization that can dictate something about what they put on their home. And, you know, in, in some subset of those, though, I don't think we have good numbers on this. Um, there are restrictions about putting solar on your roof. A lot of States have done a fair bit of work to solve for that. There are 25 States that have some form of what's called a solar access law that basically restricts, or in some cases prohibits homeowners associations from limiting 
rooftop solar, but not all of those laws are fully prohibition. Some of them are just, you know, limitations. Anyway, the point being there, there's definitely still a group of potential solar customers that are technically addressable, but for aesthetic reasons, have a hard time putting solar on their roof. So this is just another way of saying like, yes, a good BIPV product could expand the addressable market for solar. And if anything, the addressable market will be the, 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 the set of desperate housewives. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there are probably a bunch of house sets at various TV studios that one would think have aesthetic concerns about solar. Let's talk about the cons. This one isn't so much a con as an unknown, uh, which is we don't know almost anything about this product. Let me just uh, list off a an incomplete list of the things that we don't know about this product. One, we don't know the price. We don't know the price premium, right? Elon Musk said something basically pretty arcane about the the aim is to have the price be for this be lower than the normal price of a roof plus solar. Well, that's pretty generic and it depends on the kind of roof and many other things, right? So we don't know what the price of this product is going to be um, and whether it'll vary amongst the four different types. We don't know the efficiency, which relates to the price. Um, we don't know whether these cells are less efficient. We don't know whether the glass, you know, sacrifices any efficiency. I think, again, there was something general stated in one of the, the sort of press conference post announcements that was um, something like they're in testing. These shingles have been seeing something like a 2% efficiency reduction, but they're hoping that they can get it up so that it's actually more efficient. 2% efficiency reduction is a pretty big deal in solar. That's you know, from 16% to 14% or whatever makes a real difference in addition to price. So we don't know price. We don't know efficiency. We don't know what kind of warranty this is going to come with. And that's or just a, how long they'll last in general. Right. We don't know expected performance. We don't know interconnection method. We don't know what technology they're using for this, which should impact bankability. We don't know financing to the bankability point. We don't know how they're dealing with weatherization exactly. Uh, we just don't know anything about this product. So we know it looks really cool, but you know, we don't know whether it's going to compete or whether anybody in their right mind should actually buy it. Right. I'm kind of chuckling over here because um, if, if we had that list of unknowns and applied it to any other company, you know, a stealth company that came out and had these, this big claim about a solar roof product, we would be laughing them out of the room. And somehow, because this is Elon Musk, here we are talking about it. I mean, Tesla's a big deal, obviously, so it's important that we, we discuss this, but journalists are somehow so wowed by this. And there was some pretty glowing coverage. Totally. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, I read a lot of the coverage in, in the mainstream news about this. And at most, most of those articles would say, you know, Elon Musk declined to give details on, the pro on, on much of the product or the plan. But the rest of the article was totally glowing about how it was going to change the world. I do think that he gets away with a lot um, and things like that. And you're totally right. If this were just, a run-of-the-mill product announcement, we we would, I think, have reported on it. Like GTM would, would have reported be on it and said you. it looks cool. No, I think I think we would have said this this looks really good, but we yeah. don't. What about, you know, Faraday Future is a good example, right? The EV company that's sort we of We kind like, of mock them. That we, we kind of mock because they make these big splashy announcements and don't provide any detail behind it. So maybe it would look like that, which is to say we would cover it, but in a in a somewhat, you know, Wes Offy, snarky tone. Right. So that's a big one, right? Like not knowing any of those things makes it really hard to to state 
with any kind of definitiveness that like this is a good product. Um, I think the other thing that we don't know that maybe deserves its own category is we don't know the sales channel or the business model here. And that's it. That's important. There's actually a good article I'd recommend um, before the announcement came out. Aaron Nitzkin, who's this, uh, he's a, he's like a BIPV veteran. He's been around for a bunch of times now. He does a sort of consulting thing called Solar Roof Dynamics. He published something on LinkedIn just personally saying like, here are the things to watch out for in Solar City's solar roof announcement. And it had a lot of this in it. Um, but he made this point, and I'll, I'll just quote Aaron here. He said, Solar City is a solar installer, not a roofing company. Roofs frequently get damaged by solar installation companies not well-versed or licensed in roofing. So is Solar City going to foster relationships with roofing contractors nationwide, or are they getting into the roofing business themselves? And we don't know. Um, and which of those two they go down obviously has a big impact on how the business goes, how fast it should grow, who they have to be working with. I mean, what you'd like to see probably is between now and mid-2017 when they're supposed to be um, beginning production on these solar shingles, you'd like to see Tesla make some big announce, splashy announcement about an exclusive distribution partnership with the biggest roofing company in the country. But one thing that you'll find in roofing, um, which is a big debate about solar as well, is you don't have that many big national roofing companies. It's a pretty... Uh, diverse landscape of small suppliers. And one would argue that that's how it should be in solar, too. I mean, that's a debate in solar, right? Like, we don't know whether it's going to go that way or not. But the point being, you know, you can't cover off 50% of the roofing market by going through a single, you know, roofer. So that's a challenge. I, I feel like they there's a chance that they come out and say, like, yeah, we want to become a roofing company, too, and we're going to integrate this solar roof into that part of the business. Yeah, you know, you could imagine it going either way, right? Like on one hand, so Tesla um, certainly has, you know, they, they sell cars direct to customers. They've, they're trying to bypass the traditional car distribution channel. On the other hand, in their stationary energy storage business, though they're a project developer by necessity, they're pretty explicit. That's not really what they want to be, right? They want to be selling their product through developers and installers, including Solar City, and they identified that from the very beginning. Yeah, so you can imagine this looks more like that. On the other hand, and in fact, they were selling through channel distributors before they even came public. I mean, they were they were working on sales for a year before they came out of their stationary storage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to come out and say we intend to be a, a roofer. My guess is they'd prefer not to be a roofer. My guess is actually Solar City, to the extent that Solar City ends up in Tesla, right? SolarCity would want to be able to sell this and install this um, for customers. They have this big customer acquisition engine and some subset of the customers that they're going to be selling to will say, oh, I need a roof replacement. Uh, So SolarCity would like to be able to say, okay, we'll give you the solar shingles and then either do it themselves or have a partnership, you know, with a, a roofer who can actually do the work. So that seems obvious to me that they're going to be downstream sort of in one way or another there. And then also new homes, right? This is a new home thing. You don't necessarily need to be the roofer. You just need to get in with, you know, new home construction. Like Sun SunPower has this partnership with KB Homes and there's some others. Like you could imagine Tesla having a similar type of thing. Did you mention the new roofs stat in the beginning? Not yet. So Okay, so then here's the, those are the cons. Now let me, here's the one that I haven't quite decided if it's a pro or a con. Um, so Elon Musk mentioned in 
the announcement that there are, I think he said four or five million new roofs per year. Five million. Five million new roofs per year. And then in the press conference afterwards, Peter Rive, the CTO and co-founder of Solar City, said that he thought that this product could have something like a 5% market share of the new roofing segment within a couple of years. So I ran some numbers over the weekend um, for lack of anything better to do and tried to figure out what that actually would mean. How material would it be? Does it seem realistic? So let me just like lay it out for you and then I'll, I'll get your take on what you think. All right. So first question, are there actually 5 million or so new residential roofs per year? Um, yeah, more or less. So there's a study from the Fredonia group, which seems to be the most credible one that I've been able to find, um, estimating that there will be by 2020, 147 million squares of demand for new residential roof in 2020. That translates, given the average home size, to about 4.9 million homes. Then there is the question of how many of those roofs are actually solar suitable, right? Because a lot of roofs that get built are shaded or are facing the wrong direction or whatever. So NREL does some pretty good research on this. And NREL's most recent estimate from this year um, suggested that 26% of the total area on small rooftops in the U.S. is suitable for solar. So you basically should drop three quarters of that, you know, 4.9 million homes, more or less, if you want to estimate like what's actually possible to put solar on. So that gets you to like 1.3 million new homes per year. Um, now let's look at this sort of 5% market share question, right? So, uh, presumably what Peter Rive was saying was a 5% market share within two years of the 5 million homes. So that would work out to like 250,000 homes in two years that are using these solar shingles. Um, that's a big number. So, so two you know, 250,000 in two years. Solar City, based on its guidance this year, will install something like 115,000 residential systems. Do you know what they've done cumulatively? They're, no, I don't know exactly what they've done cumulatively, but they, uh, they're they aiming for a million cumulative by 2017. We should check that, but it's something like that. Sounds about right. Anyway, the point being, if they actually did that, it would be you know, double the number of installations that they currently are doing in a year. On the other hand, in order to get to that 250,000 homes in <clears throat> that year, um, they wouldn't just have to do 5% of the overall roofing market. They would have to do about 20% of the actual addressable market. Um, to me, that seems like maybe in the long term, but count me a skeptic, I do not believe they will be able to do that in two years. That's a big number. 20% of the addressable roofing market in, he said, one or two years. Seems totally unrealistic to me. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess my feeling is that in the long term, there is a real meaningful addressable market here, both in the context of Solar City and in the broader context of solar. Like this could meaningfully contribute to increasing solar penetration for residential customers in the U.S. I don't think it happens in the first couple of years, especially because they're just supposed to be beginning production 
in mid-2017. And as we know from Tesla's experience, like they never begin production as early as they say they're going to. They never ramp up as quickly as they say they're going to. So it feels like a long-term thing to me, which brings us to sort of the final question, which is that, like, why are they making this announcement now? Right. And, it, and it, I'm wondering, is it a diversion from SolarCity's problems? Is it to convince investors that this acquisition is a, is a good thing? There's clearly like a major public, public relations element to this. Right. That has to do specifically with SolarCity and Tesla's acquisition of SolarCity. Yeah. And so whether or not it's a diversion, I mean, diversion sort of a, uh, comes with a negative connotation. You could imagine this is just them making the case. This is why this is why we work great together. And, um, you know, maybe over the long term, if we're talking about five or 10 years down the line, then this sort of helped make that case. I don't think, you know, there's a lot of talk about the, the new solar product and the Tesla power, the Powerwall V2 being seamlessly integrated. I don't see them as being any better integrated than any other solar plus storage, right? Like the integration is just that they're both Tesla products, but I do think if you want to make the case that, you know, Tesla has a positive impact on Solar City, this design, the fact that it's so aesthetically pleasing, I mean, I don't know where that came from, but it does feel like it has a little bit of that magic Tesla fairy dust on it. Anyway, the point being, like, if you're trying to decide, if you're a shareholder uh, and you're trying to decide on November 17th whether to vote for this merger or not, I guess what I'm trying to figure out now, and I don't have a clear opinion on this, is like, whether this announcement should sway you in either direction. Like, should this be factored in and how? My BS meter would be beeping if I were a shareholder or if I were an equities analyst. Um, I guess I don't really see how this makes the case that Tesla should be taking on SolarCity's debt and should be like scaling this national sales model that SolarCity clearly has not made into a profitable one. I think that's the bigger question. And if I were an investor, I would feel like this is a diversion. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a cool looking product. There's no doubt that it, it offers some Tesla shine. It does speak to the long term potential for an integrated company that offers a solar roof, battery, electric vehicle. But if I'm truly worried about the short, the midterm financial health of either of these companies, this roof does nothing to sway me. Yeah, I guess my feeling is that, you know, Tesla could launch this solar shingle, this product, without buying SolarCity. Do they need to buy SolarCity in order to be able to sell this? No, I suppose not. But the question is, where are they manufacturing it? And if well, they're I manufacturing mean, it out of the Buffalo facility... Well, so that's an interesting component, right? Because the, the deal that was announced um, is SolarCity basically selling the facility to Panasonic or having Panasonic as a can contract manufacturer in the Buffalo facility contingent on the Tesla acquisition. Why contingent on the Tesla acquisition? Like why, why would Panasonic only do this if Tesla buys solar city? That is a question I really can't answer. I don't know. This does in my mind, I'm, I'm not quite as skeptical here as I, it sounds like you are in that. I don't know. It is, it is proof to me that, the things that Tesla seems to be very good at, which is a combination of like design principles, making something sexy and like Elon Musk's, you know, general ability to market the hell out of anything that he produces will matter 
for SolarCity if Tesla buys SolarCity. So there will be some benefit there. Um, but if I'm voting on this merger on the basis of short-term economics on the financials of either company, I agree with you. This shouldn't. Th- this has no impact on that. And in fact, tomorrow at the time that we are recording, but um, maybe by the time some people are listening, this will have already happened. We're going to get more details on the financials of SolarCity and on the, the proposed financials of the merger. And I think that's obviously like far more important in terms of the shareholder vote than this is. I, I just keep going back to how we would treat other companies. And we're giving Elon Musk the benefit of the doubt because he has shown that he can scale new, exciting, sexy technologies that he seems to create out of nothing. But they have not released any information here, as you clearly spelled out. And I think that's why I'm so skeptical, because this just feels like such a calculated PR move to me in ways that are different from some of the other launches that Musk has um, undertaken. You know, the, the, the Powerwall, like they were selling batteries for a year before they launched that product. Right. Presumably, they haven't been selling any of these solar roofs. Um, it was almost an accident that Musk came out and mentioned this product on a Solar City call. Like the Rive brothers weren't even ready to talk about it. And it was like Musk wanted to mention it because they were getting hammered on their earnings call. And this was a way for him to like talk about something new and exciting. So I think when I like put all these pieces together and I think about this in the context of how we would treat other companies, I am super skeptical of this announcement. That's not to say that I don't think that there's an addressable market or that it's a really cool product. Um, There is potential there. But I I don't know how they can hit 20% of the addressable market in two to three years. Yeah. And I should mention that's just the technically addressable market, like separate out the economically addressable market, right? There's a lot of states in which solar just doesn't make sense. And this will be true of this one too. So probably even higher than 20% if you're trying to figure out the real total addressable market. One other question on this that I was wondering while I was sort of watching this, like why, why was it just Elon Musk who was announcing this? I mean, I know afterwards there was a, a press conference and, and Peter and Lyndon Rive were both there, but on stage during the announcement, it was just Elon Musk. Well, that's clearly to convince investors that Musk is now going to be the face of Tesla Solar. Uh, also, coincidentally, when Panasonic released its announcement, um, it mentioned Tesla as the partner. And when Tesla announced that Panasonic was going to come in contingent on the acquisition, it was Tesla that made the announcement, not Solar City. So we're starting to see Tesla come out and sort of take the reins publicly when making these uh, PR pitches. That's interesting. The live stream of the launch video on Friday was, I think, on both websites. But I, I looked at it on both websites, and it looked cooler on the Tesla website. Yeah, I mean, Tesla has a, a, Tesla rolls things out in a completely different way. And they're, they've clearly made a decision to let Musk be the public face of any major solar announcements, or Tesla generally, and hope that that sort of feeds into investor sentiment when the vote comes up in mid-November. So what's your, what's your right now? I mean, we should take this guess again after the, uh, after the financial disclosure tomorrow, but like right now, if you have to guess, is it going to go through? I don't know. I'm hearing a lot of people who are, I, I don't want to make a prediction myself, but I'm hearing a lot of people who are really skeptical and don't think it'll go through. Let's put it that way. More people that I've talked to say they don't think it will go through than do. Interesting. I think that the um, odds makers where they're like a betting market for it would have been definitely over 50% pretty much this whole time, even after the last 
sort of rough quarterly earnings from Solar City. I think most people thought it probably was going to happen, but I don't know. I'm not talking to as many people as you. Yeah. Also, there's a. It's hard to distinguish sometimes between what people think should happen or shouldn't happen, and what they think will happen. And so there are a lot of people that I'm talking to who just think it's a bad deal to begin with. So that may color their view as well. Yeah. Interesting. I guess we will find out. Um, did 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 anybody mention in any of these announcements like when we're going to get more details on any anything to do with the product? Was that just no, totally left nothing. out? Nothing. Yeah, it's a it's wait and see, and it's you know put your faith in Elon Musk per usual. Right. If there's anyone, I've said this before, right, and a lot of people say this. If there's anyone we're going to put our faith in, it's probably going to be Musk because he has shown he can he can actually produce the pro- the products that he says he's going to, even if he is a year or two late. But uh, I just don't. I don't know. I don't see this one. Hmm. I guess we'll find out, or we won't. We'll see. All right. This was a good one. We will, uh, I think, pick up Tesla mid-November when we actually find out what's happen- what happens with the Tesla Solar City deal. Yeah, a little pre-Thanksgiving treat. 